everybody and welcome to my podcast now we are going to start with our second book or second series of harry potter which is a very famous um fiction book or series it there are even movies made on this book so uh, it is having total seven books and in the, if we go on to the movies it's having seven books with two parts the seventh book has two parts which is part a and part b of deathly hallows so first we are going to start with our first book of harry potter only which is harry potter and the philosopher's stone or the sorcerer's stone uh, so quickly i'm just gonna tell you uh, the kind of summary or what uh, is the content in this first book summary of the first book basically so let's start Harry Potter has never even heard of Hogwarts when the latter letters start dropping on the doormat at number 4 Privet Drive addressed in green ink on yellowish parchment with a purple seal they are swiftly confiscated by his grisly aunt and uncle then on Harry's 11th birthday a great beetle-eyed giant of a man called Rubius Hagrid bursts in with some astonishing news. Harry Potter is a wizard and he has a place at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. An incredible adventure is going to begin. So basically this book uh, this series are having seven books namely first is Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, second one is Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, then Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince and the last one is Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. So these are just seven magical stories on one epic adventure. So let's start. So first of all let me tell you that this book the first book of Harry Potter which is Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone contains 17 chapters which 300 which is having 310 pages in total so the first chapter is the boy who lived Mr and Mrs Dursley of number 4 Privet Drive were proud to say that they were perfectly normal thank you very much they were the last people you'd expect to be involved in anything strange or mysterious cuz they just didn't hold with such nonsense mr dursley was the director of a film called grunnings which made drills he was a big beefy man with hardly any neck although he had a, have a very large mustache mrs dursley was thin and blonde and had nearly twice the usual amount of neck which came in very useful as she spent so much of her time running over garden fences spying on the neighbors the dursleys had a small son called dudley and in their opinion there was no finer boy anywhere the dursleys had everything they wanted but they also had a secret and their greatest fear was that somebody would discover it They didn't think they could bear it if anyone found about uh, Potter's Mr. Po- Mrs. Potter and Mrs. Dursley's sister, but they hadn't met for several years. In fact, Mrs. Dursley pretended she didn't have a sister because her sister and her good-for-nothing husband were as undersleyish as it was possible to be. The Dursleys shuddered to think. 
what the neighbors would say if the potters arrived in the street the dursleys knew that the potters had a small son too but they had never even seen him the boy was another good reason for keeping the potters away they didn't want dudley mixing with a child like that when mr and mrs dursley woke up on the dull gray tuesday our story starts there was nothing about the cloudy sky outside to suggest that strange and mysterious things would soon be happening all over the country mr dursley hummed as he picked out his most boring tie for work and mrs dursley gossiped away happily as she wrestled a screaming dudley into his high chair none of them noticed a large tawny owl flutter past the window at half past 8 mrs mr dursley picked up his briefcase pegged mrs dursley on the cheek and tried to kiss dudley goodbye but missed because dudley was now having a tantrum and throwing her the his cereals on the walls like tyke chortled mr dursley as he left the house he got into his car and backed out of number 4's private drive it was on the corner of the street that he noticed the first sign of something peculiar a cat reading a map for a second mr dursley didn't realize what he had seen then he jerked his head around to look again there was a tabby cat standing on the corner of the private drive but there wasn't a map in sight what could he have been thinking of it must have been a trick of the light mr dursley blinked and stared at the cat it stared back as mr dursley drove around the corner and up the road he watched the cat in his mirror it was now reading the sign of the said private drive no looking at the sign cats couldn't read maps or signs mr dursley's have mr dursley have given himself a little shake and put the cat out of his mind as he drove towards town he thought of nothing except a large order of the drills he was hoping to get that day but on the edge of town drills were driven out of his mind by something else as he sat in the usual morning traffic jam he couldn't help noticing that three there seemed to be a lot of strangely dressed people about people in cloaks mr dursley couldn't bear who dressed in funny clothes the get-ups you saw on young people he supposed this was some stupid kind of new fashion he drummed his fingers on the steering wheel and his eyes fell on a huddle of these weirdos standing quite close by they were whispering excitedly together Mr. Dursley was enraged to see that a couple of them weren't young at all. Why, that man had to be older than he was and wearing an emerald green cloak. The nerve of him! But then it struck Mr. Dursley that this was probably some silly stunt. These people were obviously collecting for something. Yes, that would be it. The traffic moved on and a few moments later, Mr. Dursley arrived in the Grunnings car park, his mind back on rules. Mr. Dursley always sat with his back to the window in his office on the ninth floor. If he hadn't, he might have found it harder to concentrate on rules that morning. He didn't see the owl swooping past in broad daylight, 
Though people down in the street did, they pointed and gazed open-mouthed as Owl after Owl sped overhead. Most of them had never seen an Owl even at night time. Mr. Dursley, however, had a perfectly normal Owl-free morning. He yelled at five different people. He made several important telephone calls and shouted a bit more. He was in a very good mood until lunchtime when he thought he'd stretch his legs and walk across the road to buy himself a bun from the baker's opposite. He'd forgotten all about the people in cloaks until he passed a group of them next to the baker's. He eyed them angrily. As he passed, he didn't know why, but they made him uneasy. This lot were whispering excitedly too, and he couldn't see a single collecting den. It was on the way back past them, clutching a large donut in a bag, that he caught a few words of what they were saying. The potters, right, that's right, that's what I heard. Yes, the son, Harry. Mr. Dursley stopped dead. Fear flooded him. He looked back at the whispers as if he wanted to say something to them, but thought better of it. He dashed back across the road, hurried up to his office, snapped at his secretary not to disturb him, seized his telephone and had almost finished dialing his home number when he changed his mind. He put the receiver back down and stroked his moustache, thinking, No, he was being stupid. Potter wasn't such an unusual name. He was sure there were lots of people called Potter who had a son called Harry. Come on, and come to think of it. He wasn't even sure his nephew was called Harry. He'd never seen the boy. It might have been Harvey or Harold. There was no point in worrying. Mrs. Dursley, she always got so upset at any mention of her sister. He didn't blame her. If he'd had a sister like that, but all the same, those people in cloaks, he found it a lot harder to concentrate on drills that afternoon and when he left the building at 5 o'clock, he was still so worried that he walked straight into someone just outside the door. Sorry, he grunted at the tiny old man, stumbled and almost fell. It was a few seconds before Mr. Dursley realized that the man was wearing a violet cloak. He didn't seem at all upset of being no- almost knocked to the ga- ground. On the contrary, his face split into a white smile and he didn't and he had said in a squeaky voice that made passers-by stare. Don't be sorry, my dear sir, for nothing could upset me today. Rejoice for you know who has gone at last. Even muggles like yourself should be celebrating this happy, happy day. And the old man hugged Mr. Dursley around the middle and walked off. Mr. Dursley stood rooted to the spot. He had been hugged by a complete stranger. He also thought he had been called a muggle, whatever that was. He was rattled. He hurried to his car and set off home, hoping he was imagining things which he had never hoped for. Because he didn't approve of imagination. As he pulled into the driveway of number four, the first thing he saw, and it didn't improve his mood, was the tabby cat he spotted that morning. It was now sitting on, the, on his garden wall. He was sure it was the same one. It had the same markings around its eyes. Shoo! 
said Mr. Dosley loudly. The cat didn't move. It just gave him a stern look. Was this normal cat behavior? Mr. Dursley wondered. Trying to pull himself together, he let himself into the house. He was still determined not to mention anything to his wife. Mrs. Dursley had an, a nice, normal day. She told him over dinner all about Mrs. Next Door's problems with her daughter and how Dudley had learned a new word. Shan Mr. Dursley tried to act normally. When Dudley had been put to bed, he went to, into the living room in time to catch the last report on the evening news. And finally, bird watchers everywhere have reported that the, that the nation's owls have been behaving very unusually today. Although owls normally hunt at night and are hardly ever seen in daylight, there have been hundreds of sitting of these birds flying in every direction since sunrise. Experts are unable to explain why the owls have suddenly changed their sleeping pattern. The newsreader allowed himself a grin. Most mysterious and now over to Jim MC Guffin with the weather going to be any more showers of owls tonight, Jim. Well, Ted, said the weatherman, I don't know about that, but it's not only the owls that have been acting oddly today. Viewers as far apart as Kent, Yorkshire and Dante have been phoning in to tell me that they, instead of the rain I promised yesterday, they've had a downpour of shooting stars. Perhaps people have been celebrating bonfire night early. It's not until next week, folks. But I can promise a wet night tonight. Mrs. Dursley sat frozen in his armchair, shooting stars all over Britain. Owls flying by daylight. Mysterious people in cloaks over the place. And a whisper. A whisper about the potters. Mrs. Dursley came into the living room carrying two cups of tea. If it was no good, he'd have to say something to her. He cleared his throat nervously. Er, Petuna? Dear, you haven't heard from your sister lately, have you? As he had expected, Mrs. Dursley looked shocked and angry. After all, they normally pretended she didn't have a sister. No, she said sharply. Why? Funny stuff on the news, Mr. Dursley mumbled. Owls, shooting stars, and there were a lot of funny looking people in the town today. So, snapped Mrs. Dursley. Well, I just thought maybe it was something to do with, you know, her lot. Mrs. Dursley sipped her tea through pursed lips. Mr. Dursley wondered whether he dared tell her he'd heard the name Potter. He decided he didn't dare. Instead, he said as casually as he could, This son, he'd be about Dudley's age now, wouldn't he? I suppose so, said Mrs. Mrs. Dursley, stiffly. What's his name again? Howard, isn't it? Harry. Nasty, common name, if you ask me. Oh, yes, said Mrs. Dur- Mr. Dursley, his heart sinking horribly. Yes, I quite agree. He didn't say another word on the subject and as they went upstairs to bed, while Mrs. Dursley was in the bathroom, Mr. Dursley crept 
to the bedroom window and peered down into the front garden. The cat was still there. I, it was staring down Privet Drive as though it was waiting for something. Was he imagining things? Could all this have anything to do with the potters? If it did, if it got out that they were related to a pair of... Well, he didn't think he could bear it. The Dursley's got into bed. Mr. Dursley fell asleep quickly, but Mr. Dursley lay awake, turning it all over his, his mind. His last comforting thought before he fell asleep was that even if the porters were involved, there was no reason for them to come near him and Mrs. Dursley. The porters knew very well what he and Petuna thought about them and their kind. He couldn't see how he and Petuna could get mixed up in anything that might be going on. He yawned and turned over. It couldn't affect them. How very wrong he was. Mr. Dursley might have been drifting into an uneasy sleep, but the cat on the wall outside was showing no sign of sleepiness. It was sitting as still as a statue, its eyes fixed unblankly on the far corner of Privet Drive, it didn't so much as queer when a car door slammed in the next street, nor when two owls swooped overhead. In fact, it was nearly midnight before the cat moved at all. A man appeared on the corner the cat had been watching, appeared so suddenly and silently, you'd have thought he'd just popped out of the ground. The cat's tail twitched and its eyes narrowed. Nothing like the, this man had ever been seen in Privet Drive. He was tall, thin and very old, judging by the silver of his hair and beard, which were both long enough to tuck into his belt. He was wearing long robes, a purple cloak which swept the gar- ground and high-heeled buckled boots. His blue eyes were light, bright and sparkling behind half-moon spectacles and his nose was very long and crooked as though it had been broken at, la- at least twice. The man's name was Albus Dumbledore. Albus Dumbledore didn't seem to realize that he had just arrived in a street where everything from his name to his boots was unwelcome. He was busy rummaging in his cloak looking for something but he didn't seem to realize he was being watched because it he looked up suddenly at the cat which was still staring at him from the other end of the street for some reason the sight of the cat seemed to amuse him he chuckled and murmured i should have known he had found what he was looking for in his inside pocket it seemed to be a silver cigarette lighter he flicked it open held it up in the air and clicked it the nearest street lamp went out with a light little pop he clicked it again the next lamp flickered into darkness 12 times he clicked the but outer put outer until the only lights left in the whole street were two tiny pin bricks in the distance where were which were the eyes of the cat watching him if anyone looked out of their window now even beady-eyed mrs dursley they wouldn't be able to see anything that was happening down on the pavement dumbledore slipped the put 
outer back inside his cloak and set off down the streets towards number four where he sat down on the wall next to the cat he didn't look at it but after a moment he spoke to it fancy seeing you here professor mcgonagall he turned to smile at the tabby but it had gone instead he was smiling at a rather severe looking woman who was wearing square glasses exactly the shape of the markings the cat had had around his its eyes she too was wearing a cloak an emerald one her black hair was drawn into a tight bun she looked distinctly ruffled how did you know it was me she asked my dear professor i've never seen a cat sit so stiffly You'd be stiff if you'd seen been sitting on a brick wall all day," said Professor McGonagall. "All day, when you could have been celebrating. I must have passed a dozen feasts and parties on my way here." Professor McGonagall sniffed angrily. "Oh yes, everyone's celebrating. All right," she said imp- impatiently. "You'd think they'd be a little bit more careful, but no." Even the muggles have noticed something's going on. It was on their news. She jerked her head back at the Dursleys' dark living room window. I heard it. Flocks of owls, shooting stars. Well, they're not completely stupid. They were bound to notice something shooting stars down in Kent. I'll bet that was Dedalus Diggle. He never had much sense. You can't blame them, said Dumbledore gently. We've had precious little to celebrate for 11 years. I know that, said Professor McGonagall irritably, but that's no reason to lose our heads. People are being downright careless out on the streets in broad day- daylight, not even dressed in muggle clothes, swapping rumors. She threw a sharp sideways glance at Dumbledore here as though hoping he was going to tell her something but he didn't so she went on a fine thing it would be if on the very day you know who seems to have disappeared at last the muggles found out all about us all i suppose he really has gone Dumbledore it certainly seems so said Dumbledore I ha- we have much to be thankful for. Would you care for a sherbet lemon? A what? A sherbet lemon? They're a kind of muggle sweet I'm rather fond of. Fond of? No, thank you," said Professor McGonagall coldly, as though she didn't think this was the moment for sherbet lemons. As I say, if even you know who has gone, my dear professor. Surely a sensible person like yourself can call him by his name. All this you-know-who nonsense for eleven years. I have been trying to persuade people to call him by his proper name, Voldemort. Professor McGonagall flinched, but Dumbledore, who was unsticking two sherbet lemons, seemed not to notice. It all gets. confusing we keep saying you know who i have never seen any reason to be frightened of saying voldemort's name i know you haven't said professor mcgonagall sounding half exasperated half admiring but you're different everyone knows you're the only one you know 
all right voldemort was frightened of you flatter me said dumbledore calmly voldemort had powers i will never have only because you're too well noble to use them it's lucky it's dark i haven't blushed so more so much since madame pompey told me she liked my new earmuffs Professor McGonagall shot a sharp look at Dumbledore and said, "The owls are nothing to the rumors that are flying around. You know what everyone's saying about why he's disappeared, about what finally stopped him." It seemed that Professor McGonagall had reached the point she was most anxious to discuss the real reason she had been waiting on a cold, hard wall all day. But neither as a cat nor as a woman had. she fixed dumbledore with such a piercing stare as she didn't did know now it was plain that whatever everyone was saying she was not going to believe it until dumbledore told her it was true dumbledore however was choosing another silver lemon and did not answer what they're saying she pressed on is that last night uh, voldemort turned up in Godric's hollow he went to find the potters the rumor is that lily and james potter are are that they're dead dumbledore bowed his head for professor mcgonagall gasped lily and james i can't believe it i didn't want to believe it oh albus dumbledore reached out and patted her on the shoulder i know i know he said heavily Professor McGonagall's voice trembled as she went on. That's not all. They're saying he tried to kill the Potter's son, Harry, but he couldn't. He couldn't kill that little boy. No one knows why or how, but they're saying that when he couldn't kill Harry Potter, Voldemort's power somehow broke and that's why he's gone. Dumbledore nodded glumly. It's It's true, flattered Professor McGonagall. After all, he's gone. All the people he's killed, he couldn't kill a little boy. He it's just astounding of all the things he to stop him. But how in the name of the heaven did Harry survive? We can only guess, said Dumbledore. He may never know. Professor McGonagall pulled out a lace handkerchief and dabbed at her eyes beneath her spectacles. Dumbledore gave a great sniff as he took a golden watch from his pocket and examined it. It was a very co- very odd ma- watch. It was 12 hands but no numbers instead little planets were moving around the edge. It must have made sense to Dumbledore though because he put it back in his pocket and said Hagrid's late I suppose. It was he who told you I'd be there here. By the way, yes," said Professor McGonagall, "and I don't suppose you are going to tell me why you're here of all places. I've come to bring Harry to his aunt and uncle. They're the only family he has left now. You don't mean you can't mean the people who live here?" cried professor mcgonagall jumping to her feet and pointing at number 4 dumbledore you can't i've been watching them all day you couldn't find two people who are less like us and they've got this son i saw him kicking his mother all the way up the street screaming for sweets harry potter come and live here 
is the best place for him, said Dumbledore firmly. His aunt and uncle will be able to explain everything to him when he's older. I've written them a letter. A letter, repeated Professor McGonagall faintly, sitting back down on the wall. Really, Dumbledore, you think you can explain all this in a letter? These people will never understand him. He'll be famous, a legend. I wouldn't be surprised if today was known as Harry Potter Day in future. There will be books written about Harry. Every child in our world will know his name. Exactly, said Dumbledore, looking very seriously over the top of his half-moon glasses. If it would be enough to turn any boy's head famous before he can walk and talk. Famous for something he won't even remember. Can't you see how much better off he'll be growing up away from all that until he's ready to take it? Professor McGonagall opened her mouth, changed her mind, swallowed and then said, Yes, yes, you're right, of course, but how is the boy getting here, Dumbledore? She eyed his cloak suddenly as though she thought he might be hiding her Harry underneath it. Hagrid's bringing it. Him. You think it wise to trust Hagrid with something as important as this? I would trust Hagrid with my life, said Dumbledore. I'm not saying his heart isn't in the right place, said Professor McGonagall gruffly. But you can't pretend he's not careless. He does tend to... What was that? A low rumbling sound had broken the silence around them. It grew steadily louder as they looked up and down the street for the same sign of a headlight. It swelled to a roar as they both looked up at the sky and a huge motorbike fell out of the air and landed on the road in front of them. It was the motorbike was huge, it was nothing to the man sitting astride it. He was almost twice as tall as a normal man and at least five times as wide. He looked simply too big to be allowed and so wild, long tangles of bushy black hair and beard hid most of his face. He had hands of hands the size of dust and dustbin lids and his feet in their leather boots were like baby dolphins. In his vast muscular arms, he was holding a bundle of blankets. Hagrid, said Dumbledore, sounding relieved at last. And where did you get the motorbike? Borrowed it, Professor Dumbledore. Sir, said the giant, climbing carefully off the motorbike as he spoke. Young Sirius Black lent it me. I've got him, sir. No problems. Weather. No, sir. House was almost destroyed, but I got him out all right before the muggles started swarming around. He fell asleep as we was flying over Bristol. Dumbledore and Professor McGonagall bent forward around the bundle of blankets. Inside, just visible was a baby boy, fast asleep under a tuft of jet black hair over his forehead. They could see a curiously shaped cut like a bolt of lightning. Is that where? whispered Professor McGonagall. Yes, said Dumbledore. We'll have the scar. He'll have the scar forever. Couldn't you do something about it, Dumbledore? Even if I could, I wouldn't. 
scars can come in useful i have one myself about my left knee um, which is a perfect map of the london underground will give him here hagrid we'd better get this over with dumbledore took harry in his arms and turned towards the dursley's house could i could i say goodbye to him sir asked hagrid he bent his great shaggy head over harry and gave him what must have been a very scratchy whiskery kiss then suddenly hagrid let out a howl like a wounded dog his professor mcgonagall you'll wake the muggles sorry sobbed hagrid taking out a large spotted handkerchief and burying his face in it but i c- c- can't stand it lily and james dead and poor little harry off to live with muggles yes yes it's all very sad but get a grip on yourself hagrid or we'll be found professor mcgonagall whispered patting hagrid gingerly on the arm as Dumbledore stepped over the low garden wall and walked to the front door. He laid Harry gently on the doorstep, took a better letter out of his cloak, tucked it inside Harry's blankets, and then came back to the other two. For a full minute, the three of them stood and looked at the little bundle. Hagrid's shoulders shook. Professor McGonagall blinked furiously, and the twinkling light that usually shone from Dumbledore's eyes seemed to have gone out. Well, said Dumbledore finally, that's that. We've no business staying here. We may as we go and join the celebrations. Yeah, said Hagrid in a very muffled voice. I'd best get his bike away. Good night, Professor McGonagall. Professor Dumbledore, sir, whipping his streaming eyes on his jacket sleeve, Hagrid swung himself on the motorbike and kicked the engine into life. With a roar, it rose into the air and off into the night. I shall see you soon, I expect, Professor McGonagall, said Dumbledore, nodding to her. Professor McGonagall blew her nose in reply. Dumbledore turned and walked back down the street. On the corner, he stopped and took out the silver put-outer. He collected once and twelve balls of light sped back to the street lamps so that private drive glowed suddenly orange and he could make out a tabby cat slinking around the corner at the other end of the street. He could just see the bundle of blankets on the step of the number four. Good luck, Harry, he murmured. He turned on his heel and with a switch of his cloak, he was gone. A breeze ruffled the neat hedges of Privet Drive, which lay silent and tidy under the inky sigh. In the very last place you would expect astonishing things to happen, Harry Potter rolled over inside his blankets without waking up. One small hand closed on the letter beside him and he slept on, not knowing he was special, not knowing he was famous, not knowing he would be woken in a few hours' time by Mrs. Dursley's scream as he sh- as she opened the front door to put out the milk bottles, nor that he would spend the next few weeks being prodding and pinched by his 
cousin Dudley, he couldn't know that at this very moment people meeting him is in secret all over the country uh, were holding up their glasses and saying in hushed voices to Harry Potter, the boy who lived. So now we've finished the chapter one of this book and chapter two we are going to start in our next um, podcast and the name of chapter two is The Vanishing Glass. So thank you everybody and I hope you liked it and please just do follow me on Spotify or any other platform so that you can get the notification or the message whenever i post a new podcast for you all thank you everybody for listening